Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Asian Unfiltered from a different lens. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Asian Unfiltered. But before I start the show, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Bet Online. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is actually where you can find everything from NBA, hockey, to UFC, NFL, all things sports, all the matchups, all the prop bets. You can find it there on Bet Online. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Just visit the website today. Or use your mobile device and join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, go over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. And here's part three of the interview series for the LA Originals featuring Mark Machado, aka Mr. Cartoons. Mark was really cool enough to do the interview while working on a mural and was open to all my questions. We talk about raising his kids in a more affluent life because, you know, he was raised primarily not in poverty, but he wasn't as affluent as he was and teaching his kids how to understand roots, the roots of their culture. You know, his travels across touring, the races like Koreans, Filipinos, Latinos that make up the L.A. County and topics according to the L.A. original doc. So here's a full hour of Mr. Cartoons. Enjoy. Cartoons, how's it going, Mark? What's going on, man? How you doing? Nothing much, man. I appreciate you and having my homie uh, Marco locking this down, man. All right, cool. By the cool. by the way, bro, I gotta let you know uh, a lot of respect from the Filipinos, bro. All right, man. <laughs> t- yeah. Tons of respect, dude. Like even like, you know, when we had pompadours in the early nineties. Hell yeah. Fuck, dog. Like y- your work was already like. Okay, there's this dude who's touring with Cypress Hill. Yeah. But he's, tight, he's, he, he's getting down with, like, a bunch of stuff, you know? So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I had to give it up, man. You know, because they're talking about Chicano this, Chicano that, and they push that real heavy in interviews, right? And I go, yeah, that's, that's a part of it, for sure. That's our culture. But I go, it's not just us. You know, we, we're surrounded by the people that support the artwork, that, that build lowriders, that, that know how to pop, know how to break. You know, and those are Samoans, Filipinos. You know, there's some crazy Puerto Ricans thrown in there, some Cuban families on the street. Like, you know, if, you, if you're if you Latino, you're probably called Mexican your whole life. Whether sure. Whether you're Salvadorian or whatever, right? But, um, yeah, so it's all of us together, man. You know, a lot of Pacific Islanders that grew up in the neighborhood. Uh, there's something about when the goddamn Portuguese and Spanish try to spice trade us and force yeah. it down to where it felt like, because I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s, it felt like there was an understanding coming around. Because there was racial tension, yeah. but it felt like there was an understanding coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Everyone's got to struggle and... Boy, those Spaniards and Portuguese were motherfuckers, you know? Yeah. Terrorizers and, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting history. I'm doing a mural right now uh-huh. um, where it's talking about the Cortez shoe, but I put an Aztec pyramid and I put the Spaniards coming over on the boat. And, you know, it's a, it's a real interesting, rich history. Well, well I think also, uh, not to be all old Asian guy, but a lot of kids won't realize the irony of Cortez ruining the Aztecs. Yeah. And then even at the dock, like the way that shoe, the, the complete irony behind it, that could have been like a 30-minute dock on its own on because yeah. you love the Cortez, but then you're designing on top of the Cortez, representing the Mexican and Mexican-American culture. Yeah, I didn't start thinking about it until I was designing the shoe and I started looking up the name and tripping and I was like, fuck, man, you know, but regardless of how I feel about it, it is a, a part of my uh, history or my, my, you know, heritage, right? Right. So uh, it, it's being spawned out of this, uh, the Spaniards bringing a virus to the, uh, of all things, to uh, the Aztec and Mayan people, you know, and who already had advanced civilizations. It's right. like someone discovering your, your wallet in your back pocket. That that you didn't know was there, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Oh, you knew it was there? They didn't know it was there. They were so amazed that, she, that they found this wallet with money. And you're like, yeah, motherfucker, that's mine, you know? <laughs> and do, yeah, they do, do, flew after. Yeah, exactly. Do, do, are your kids, um, I'm sure because of your success, are your kids raised with a little bit of tempering of your history? Or do you yeah. like try to pull them away from that? Like, no, I'm couldn't. talking about the rough stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, my kids are, are, are raised in the middle. So they have one foot in the culture, in low riding, tattooing. They're, they hear, they see uh, documentaries about Aztecas and, and all these things, and they're like, they trip out on, on their grandparents and like they're hit their hair. Then they're in a private school in Encino, you know, uh, during the day with upper middle class kids. Sure. It's, it's these two things. I mean, I think, you know, every, every one of daddy's friends and everyone they see over has full sleeves and tattoos and, <laughs> you know, uh, that's what they thought was normal, you know, and then you go to school and you're like, wait a minute, everyone's kind of different. So yeah, they've had, um, I think, uh, as good of a good education. And then we keep it real with them and have reality. They have, they have old school manners. Uh, yes, no, thank you. Yes, please. All that type of not not too crazy, but you got to carry the the good stuff over, you know. Uh, do you think they go through? They still go through like, well, dad's got to be good monetarily wise, right, to go to school in Encino. But do you think they still go through like, oh, those are the brown kids? Yeah, they they're in the middle sometimes too because they're light skinned like me, but sure. They still, you know, have the features, and so they probably don't get accepted in that. You know, show me a school where there's not a, like a bully or there's not a, a – but they have different type of bullying where it might be like right. you have the old iPhone bully instead <laughs> of some kid going to punch you in the grill after school. You know what I mean? So it's – it's uh, we want them to be humble. We want them to be educated as good as possible. And uh, I told him, like my daughters, you could be an educated Latina. You don't have to be from the hood, so to say. You know what I mean? You could be, you could appreciate your your family and go visit your cousins and see what no AC looks like. You need to see that shit so you can be grateful. You can be humble. You know what I'm saying? How does how's, how does the wifey feel? Is she like in parallel lines with you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, she's. Uh, She's the one that keeps them really grounded. You know, I spend the most time with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I try as much as possible. But fortunately, my wife has a level head, and, and she we agreed like along the lines of how we want to do this. Try to play a lot of like old school soul in the pad. You know, uh, we love rap too. You know, I like current stuff to the old old school. So it's important that my kids know about old school rap and the foundation of it the birth of hip hop and what that even means. Popping, DJing, graffiti, you know, all the yeah. elements. In a way, like having kids will keep you young too, because they'll keep you in touch with music or whatever, you know, like even oh, with yeah. the fashion, like the, those tight jeans, we, we seen those watch back to the future. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't, they just didn't seem tight back then. They were just like fitted, you know? Right. But NWA came out too. People were like, Oh shit. They got baggy ass. Jeans. If you look at those pictures, shit look like skinny jeans. They just look baggy then. And then they got out of control. I seen a picture of myself the other day. I had like a three X tall white t-shirt on. And from a certain way they chopped the picture, it just looks like I had a white dress on. It looks That's like, it. Fucking, like I got, a, a, like I'm a ghost or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so out of control. The white tee craze was so out of control in the early 2000s. Um, it's funny when you look back at those pictures. But but do you feel we're gonna be biased, right? Um, did the 90s really, looking back, feel like a renaissance? Because between Michael Jordan, the music, the discovery of like the, there's a shift in clothing. Do you feel the ninety or the nineties was really that dope, or was it just we're just being reminiscent of that time? That's a good question. I think it was the reasons. I think it was dope. It was before this, before this technology. Sure. If you see someone on TV, like 
We've seen B-Real on TV. We're like, that fool's on Saturday Night Live. That's hard to compare. I mean, that's Saturday Night Live. You know what I'm saying? But in other words, when we see our homeboys on TV, it was a real big deal. They either were on news for robbing somebody or it was rare that they were actually um, entertainers. So now people can be stars overnight with this type of platform. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's, the 90s were so dope because they were innocent in the fact of technology, but raw in the fact. Still analog. Yeah, it was analog. It was dangerous, man. It's, it's, everyone having cell phones, that shit made a world a safer place, man. Because <laughs> uh, fools. Let me, I'm sorry. Let me, let me plug in this uh, before it, it turns off, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. All good, brother. Dude, me, wow. me and uh, Esteban, I mean, this is no pressure or me hinting anything. Yeah. We spoke for an hour 57 minutes. Oh, yes, yeah, for sure. That, that, Especially he, if you guys, you know, if you talking about this stuff, you can talking about our culture will go forever, bro. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, the, the junkies, they're excited about this interview. Oh, I'm good. Yeah, the, uh, or are we taping or? Uh... Yeah, we've been recording. Okay, good. But yeah, the 90s were dope because the music was so hard. I mean, man, even, um, you know, those LL Cool J albums and Run DMC albums, and of course, DJ Quick and hearing those early NWA, those, those Rhodium mixtapes and Toddy T and, and, and King T. Man, this was, low riding was like so dangerous, you know what I mean? Fools were getting shot over the rims, Killer Dayton's, you know. You see someone rolling a five point on danger, like that right. fool's got heart. Like he's a down. He's, he must be strapped. I was trying to explain to my younger cousins that you cruise Hollywood, like let's say ninety to ninety two ish. There's an understood risk already that Hell someone's yeah. gonna fight. Someone's gonna fucking shoot up. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the guys on the sidelines, you know, MS is crawling out of the woodwork and the 18th streets on the other side. And you're just there to cruise and check out, you know. And, and Kicks. Or, 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 yeah, check out the girls. You know, we're, we're 20 years old out there in the back of a, sitting in the back bed of a mini truck. You know, my right. older home has the mini truck with the poke out wire wheels. I'm like, damn, man, I want to get one of those one day, you know. But you know what's <laughs> funny? Like, my car, my car, like, I don't even like Chrome. I don't even fuck with Chrome. I, I murder my vehicle out now. Yeah, yeah. So I look, at, I look back at Chrome and I go, I think it's got to be like a vintage car. But if it's like 2010 and up, I, I, chrome, all, I yeah. chrome all my shit out. Or take yeah. out the Chrome, I should say. Yeah, like a brand new truck, like a Silverado, I'll order it with the shit piano black already. I don't even want to see any Chrome on it. Um, but yeah, that's for the modern cars. I mean, today I was rolling a '92 um, Brown Cadillac, so that Whoa. one was that thing's like driving a waterbed. But it's just stock. I got a stock on on 15 inch uh, Zenus with uh, with the Vogue white wall, so it just rolls clean. It's just a survivor car. We got it off a, a Chinese couple that lived in Huntington Beach that had it garage his whole life. You didn't have to, like, take care of, like, sand or rust underneath because it's by the Nothing. beach area? No, because uh. it, it was uh, garage kept. And you didn't and have to adjust the shocks or anything just to slap on the 15s? I didn't have to do anything to that. Amazing. Yeah, they went right up. Because a 15, you could still get at the dealership at that time. They were selling you a 15-inch wire on a boat. So I just wanted it, like, showroom style. I drive it like it was a daily driver. Yeah, I, I, uh, I got... I got enamored with the forerunners, like the uh, the uh, third gen forerunners, and and it's interesting because it's almost like a sickly baby that you always have to care for every day. But yeah. but dude, the compliments are like worth everything, you know. Yeah, people like that old. Like I got a '96 SS Impala. Oh, people geek on those. You know what I mean? Um, like new. 20 year old kids, they don't know what the fuck that is. It's a cop car, I don't know what it is, you know. But if you knew that you could buy a big block muscle car, Chevy dealership, you know, it was just the D boys had that shit. I was 
so envious, man. I was, but I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't like a hater towards them, my homeboys, but I was just like, fuck, man, I didn't get that shit, you know? I got to devise a way to get that, you know, I don't took me 20 years and shit. I finally got one. <laughs> did, did, uh, did audio factor for you? Like, because the expense of dressing the outside and inside, it's like, fuck. And then now, yeah. you know, I'm a little bit of an audiophile, so I, I always preferred, like, the tweeters separate. Mm. You know, did yeah. you do when dressing your cars up? Yeah, putting beat in your car is very important because it sets a whole vibe on the interior and it, you're not just going to work. You're like, you're in a soundtrack. You know what I mean? You've got the music knocking. So yeah, it's, it's important. A lot of people don't do it anymore. You know, it takes a lot to, everyone's got, we got bills to pay. We got all this stuff, you know, like I'm still working. Like when you see me talking shit to, about the president and this and that, I, you know, like cartoon got that shit. He's talking, to, telling the truth about how he feels about everything, you know, right, like right now I still kind of, I maintain and we're still out there working, dog. We, we still feel young. We still feel uh, thirsty and hungry to do this shit. You know what I mean? And uh, we don't try not to take anything for granted. Did, did, the doc, did the documentary energize you or was it already there? Like the energy to keep pushing? Yeah, yeah. The, the doc, we didn't even know how that was going to do, to be honest with you. You know, we were just kept pushing, kept pushing. We didn't know when it was going to drop at this time and then it was going to drop at this time. It ended up being perfect where everyone was home, you know, for a sad reason. But regardless, people were home, so it did very well. Um, but, yeah, that helped. I mean, of course, that, that brings a lot of energy away. Um, but we were already been on it. Took four years, right? But, yeah, with the editing, like, probably like the first meeting when you sit down and you discuss it. And it goes by fast, bro. Like right. last year, you're really editing. You're doing a lot of changes back and forth, back and forth. Did you ever make? Did you ever make it out there to Argentina with Marco and uh, Esteban? I did. Okay. No, he, he handled that part. Uh, but man, it'd be beautiful to go out there. But yeah, he got that handled. You know, so we uh, we worked on it hours and hours and hours, man. Just people won't even know all the stuff it took just to make it. And we have, we're sitting on a mountain of footage, so could have made five more episodes. Right, and I feel like it could be like a docu-series like this Last Dance shit with Jordan, you know? Just just even alone on the history of, like, the 310 and mm -hmm. tagging, skating. Yeah. We didn't even get into low riding. We didn't get into tattoo world. I mean, like, we just barely In depth. surface. Yeah, just in graffiti alone, you can do just almost a whole doc on that, especially on automotive. Like, you didn't get into pinstriping or gold leaf culture or, or candy car murals and, and all that, you know. So uh, there's a lot of people, you know, uh, I influence, and there's a lot of people that I look up to, you know. We, we all help each other some way, man, even if we don't know. Like, like we, sorry, I cut you off. No, it's important just to keep going. Like, uh, is there a regional difference? Like, um, how do I sh how do I use this? Like, New York's punk scene is like gutter punk. Like, California is skater punk. Yeah. Was there a difference in graffiti between the West and the East Coast? Do you think, or if you can recall? For sure. Yeah, graffiti in the East Coast when they had a head start, a big big leap head start um, in front of us, but we had gang culture. So we kind of mixed ours with that to where ours looked more like old English letters and, and wild styles, but they were hard Gothic style. So we started to make our own look. And because of the weather out here too, that gives us a little bit of a head start on certain things. And um, Yeah, the East Coast created that look, you know, of, of the bombing, the throw up, the wild style. And now, you know, of course, with the internet, you go to Europe and see that shit's out of control. Um, but we all have our own look now, and I think we all have respect for each other, too. You know, I meet writers like a Futura 2000, like, damn, man. You know, like, I know how to do that guy's signature. I've looked at it so many times, you know? Right.
How, how do you feel? Well, I'll make a statement and then you react to it. Like, do you think, I feel like street art is a kissing cousin of graffiti, but some people feel like it's just art. It's not even graffiti. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it definitely started as, as vandalism. Uh, they're, they're, like you said, they're, they're cousins, you know, um, low riding, gang banging, or kind of in the same community. It's your brother that has the shit maybe more together. He can get the low rider, you know, he takes time to chrome the moldings and put the trim back on and polish your paint job. This guy's got, you know, the brother maybe active gang member. You know, some dope, putting in work, doing that stuff. So, uh, but both of them were going to be in the same car going to the boulevard, you know. Uh, but then again, you know, I've written my name, carved my name in a toilet somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And then I had my art in a contemporary art museum in France. Dope. Same shit, really. It's, it's just who's looking at it. Everyone has their own opinion. Um, yeah, it, it's it's an evolution, though. Like where I was when I was writing "fuck," carving the word "fuck" into some some restaurant toilet wall. I've come a long way from there. You know what I mean? I've grown. I've read books. I've traveled the world. Had kids. I'm married. Like, I'm in a different place today, but it's not far from that, bro. Still, oh, okay like vandal graffiti is how my head works. That's, that's what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm painting this canvas. I'm telling the story of my life. It's going to go into this art show. Um, and I, I want to be paid uh, what I deserve. And uh, that's as much, much as the market will bear. You know what I mean? I've done a bunch of shit for free over the years, you know, for my friends or even the word free doesn't, apply because I got like notoriety out of that piece or I got the guy worked on my car you know I like to barter and shit right there's a a yield beyond the purpose you know you gotta do it for so many years before you get fucking known or paid countless hours by yourself in a fucking garage in a fucking train yard or a fucking paint yard you know what I mean just a parking lot somewhere you're painting the side of liquor stores taking you all night you get the glory when it's done and you drive by and you can see it and people are taking pictures in front of it hell yes that's your payment you know right yeah in the dock I was watching I probably rewatched it like five times dope dope the critical part I feel was when you were training in karate do do you feel if you don't train with that dude, uh, you don't get these creative mental faculty faculties? Because he's the guy that introduced you to the car candy paint culture, right? Yeah, martial arts definitely impacted my life. I mean, I'm kind of on a thing saying no matter what would have happened, I would have strived to go wherever I wanted to go. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm a go-getter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it no matter what. I just happen to go this way because of <laughs> taking martial arts. I mean, those karate pictures are out of control, you know what I mean? Like, it's just so funny, but it's the 80s, you know? Like, that's the way shit was. That's a, a portrait out of that time. And I thought everyone knew that candy paint and, like, kung fu went together. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I thought that was natural because i seen all these guys doing it. And uh, it ended up being something that... that changed me and gave me balance in life and learned respect at a young age about um, talking to a crowd. Like when I was a kid, I would teach the class at the beginning of class and show how to get in a, you know, a horse dance, do a front ball kick. And yeah, okay. Like, like <laughs> that. that yeah, the, the, I mean, that, that pose with the crew, you know? But, but, yeah, but, I mean, but what I'm asking though, sir, is... Do you think you would have eventually gotten to the to that subgenre of candy paint? Because I, mean, I, I think your master was the one who introduced you to that, right? He definitely was, and I can't really say what it would have been like if I hadn't met him. You know, um, 
he was the candy man of Hawthorne, Vic LaRue. And uh -huh. he, uh, he was going nuts painting every car candy brandy wine. You know, I remember the, his, his helper saying, please, please paint another color. Because it was so popular, man. Candy paint. And fools had mini trucks and VW Buzz and Beatles. And, man, everyone was, their rides were slammed on Dayton's with candies on it. So I was just, no, but it definitely, it, it, it supercharged, you know, my, my vision on that. And uh, I was able to just be submersed in it and be around it, where um, a lot of other kids might have not had that opportunity. Yeah, I just interviewed a female brown belt. Uh, she's a no-gi with a practitioner with 10th Planet. And she was like, I'm not a maniac of martial arts, but that point in time will enhance my discipline. So that way, because I went all in here, I know I can go all in with if I go left, like what you said. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they don't even teach that stuff anymore. I mean, it was like, if you think about like in Kempo and these different styles of art forms, they were teaching like eye gouging and fucking, uh, you know, you chop someone's throat, the windpipe, this way. It was, it was all like lethal shit in the fucking 1700s or some shit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Before they had guns. But uh, it's interesting to see guys use that shit in a bar, you know what I mean? Wing Chun fuck someone up in a bar, you know? Oh, so, that trapping. So all the trapping, man. And, you know, Danny Asanto was a big uh, influence. We'd come by the, the dojo and he had the body sticks and, and the, um, the knives. And uh, that shit was so popular, man. I, I'm, and, I'm actually in the moment mind blown because you're naming all the legends right now for the youngsters. You know, Danny Asanto, Bruce mm -hmm. Lee student. Like yeah. this. Like, our era was like, I poke, spit in their face, throw your keys so you can get in and get out. Yeah, this is, I mean, now they're doing jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai, which is Dope. probably the best formula you can have. But uh, it's really interesting just to peek in, to be there during that, that culture, man, where the karate master, the black belt pulls up and he has a fucking naked broad airbrush in the hood of his car with a fucking panther coming out of the water. And there's, like, faces and fools of Fu Manchus and the rocks and <laughs> I'm looking at that shit and I look at the guy and he got a big tattoo on his arm and I was like, oh shit that you can drive around like that with naked <laughs> women on your car? Oh man. And then this guy could beat everyone's ass, you know, so it was even that crazier, you know? I was a sweet kid, man. You know, I wasn't like gonna go far in, in, in competition martial arts, but I just dug it, man. I, I love the idea of uh, fluidity and um, the lines and, 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 like you said, trapping and all that stuff reminded me of art. So it all seemed to coexist with each other. So it was just my weird story. Was uh, your, your master then, was he Asian? He wasn't, but he... Um, Not that it mattered. I was going to... No, no, it's just that uh, who was Asian was, was the guy he introduced me that did all the murals. And his name was Ron Tess. And he was a different type of Asian. He was Indonesian Dutch. Okay. So, Southeast Asian with that mix. Yeah. Asian, but with green hazel eyes. Mm. And tan as fuck. And you could see uh, he had Popeye forearms. And he was a tunnel rat in Vietnam. So he, he's one of the sickest black belts you ever want to meet. He's real little, man, but he's like, you don't want to fight the guy. You know, he's just. He, and he was the mural guy. <laughs> right. So here's again, like, damn, the mural guy's a black belt. And, oh, man, like, all this shit just seemed like a movie, you know? And uh, these guys were just the coolest guys on the planet to me. And uh, that's what they did. They, they candied cars and they did karate and shit. When, when you eventually went from spraying, drawing... Like, you know, uh, Lenny Kravitz talks about, like, when I'm using a guitar like this, but when I go to keys, my brain shifts. Did your brain shift from drawing, spraying, then eventually you got the skin? Was there a big change you had to adjust to? Well, for sure. I mean, you, uh, you're going on the, the most sensitive canvas in the world it's um 
something you can't go take like a class in it or some shit. So, but I'm already starting to get tattoos on in my early twenties. I'm getting sleeved, and I'm just hanging in that environment. And I'm like, oh shit, this is like art for fucking savages. You know what I mean? Like, you can still be uh, a respectable gentleman and do get these do this art. You know, it's like grown up art and shit. Right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we were doing gold leaf on, say, a Harley tank. or Every, every day would be kind of different, but I definitely had to submerse myself into tattooing to be able to understand it and to be able to try to master it. Do you, what, is, was there, did you encounter people with skin disease like psoriasis and you're like, oh, I can't, I can't, like, did you have you to pass on your clients? No, I don't pass on them. I tattoo right over that shit. <laughs> Burn victims. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. Amputees would meet. Sure, I'm tattooed amputees. I'm tattooed people that are um, have uh, like sur- uh, sur- um, uh, they have different, you know, where they have bone cerebral palsy, like right. cerebral palsy. Uh, and I have people that have been um, they're, they're, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting all my words, but they're quadriplegics. Oh, shit. Yeah, so they can't even feel it, but they, they can see it and they can kind of feel it because they remember before, you know, they were handicapped, what it was like. Toons, I'm a little bit of a scumbag, so... Um... <laughs> <laughs> like if it was someone with cerebral palsy, it's like, oh no, I intentionally wanted to design a wave right there because they yeah. were moving so much, you know, like shit like that, like accidents. I'm going to get fucking executed for this, but. You don't even know at that time it's the fucking 90s with cerebral palsy. I mean, you don't know what psoriasis even is, bro. You know what I mean? Right. You know? right. You're just looking at some guys. They work for the city, they're in the sun all day, they put lotion on their arm, and for two years they don't drink a bottle of water, they only drink beer. Those guys have leather skin, they fucking bend the needle and shit. Get a Japanese girl, she fucking eats fish and, and water all day, and she has milky soft. I'm just, this is one spectrum or the other, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, skin is just no, no, no two are the same, of course. And some are, are, are soft and milky and luxurious, and some are fucking shit. Right. Do, do, so are you strictly black ink? No, no colored? No colors. Well, black and gray only. That, that's it? Okay. It's all yeah. I have. So um, some of my friends are some of the best color tattooers in the world. <laughs> Share the pie. Cry to these guys. Yeah, just go... To my boy Nico Hurtado, you want to color portrait him? It's, it's outrageous, you know. So it's better to let the specialists do their specialty. Yeah, and and a lot of people won't get this. There's a screening process because you worked with like hard dudes, you know, like mugs, be real. But when an R&B person comes in, or like Ryan Philippe, was there like a screening process where you like? What the fuck are you? What do you want a tattoo for? What do you want? You're not. I come from this culture. Are yeah. You, well, if if everyone had to qualify, to have either done time or been a stand up street motherfucker to get, I'd be tattooing like ten people a year, uh, or maybe four. People. Right. Ryan, actually, I I've been watching his movies and I like like he was no gangster, but he's. No punk either, you know what I mean? So you kind of trip out on these guys when you get to talk to them, and you're like, this guy's actually down, you know what I mean? Like, comes from a different world. Like, but they see that tattoo style, and they're like, I got to have that shit, you know what I mean? Um, am I going to put something on him that you can get him in trouble? or he's gonna, No, I'm going to stick to his genre, but try to do it in black powder gray, black and gray, do it my style, you know? And you start blowing up Chicano art because it's going on an A-list celebrity now who not from a gang or drug addict or he's like a fucking, you know, real actor that's doing this stuff. So it balances out when I've got to do 
you know, uh, Lepke from Rebels Gang. You know, that he's getting tattooed because he's the shit to talk to and he don't have no money, but he's a fucking righteous street motherfucker. Anybody that's done time in a Southern California prison or Northern California prison uh, knows this guy. So we'll tattoo that guy and then balance it out. And this guy, you, you get this, everyone in between, you know? It's not all celebrities and gangsters. It's regular guys that save their money. They want to come in and get their life story, you know? Yeah, because even like R&B folks took a while for them to get into that. Because remember, they were like the polished entertainers. Now, Luther Vandross wouldn't have had no sleeve tattoo. <laughs> right. I've seen Cameo come out with William, you know, I would have had a heart attack. But things are changing, man. They Look at the ball players, man. You've never seen a professional Magic Johnson with a full sleeve. You know, like, times are really changing. And it eases up a lot of people, um, especially those, get those corporate checks out of these companies. You know what I mean, man? They see tattoos now, they're connected with hard work, focus, determination, you know, red carpet. Oh, that's a nice tattoo. That's square lady telling me, you know what I mean? Uh, they're interested. There's tattoo reality shows now. You know, some could argue it waters everything down and fucking makes it uncool. Every lane can have one. But, you know... It's just how you look at it. I, I, that's true. A certain amount of that is true. But how the fuck are you going to start a business with that type of mentality? You know what I mean? Like, man, it there's enough cool gangsters in the world. These other people getting it, hey, man, it eases it up. Someone, one of these tattooers, man, can actually buy a house. You know what I mean? Because these bunch of squares want to get tattoos. Well, fuck it, you know? Don't put no real gangster shit on them. They'll be all right. Did, did you? Did it take a while for you to think about that business end, or were you already in that business end? You know, my art form has just always been so lowbrow and fucking gutter type, <laughs> heroin addict, fucking strippers, and all that's connected to my art form. You know what I mean? So sure. it's, like, it's always been on a ground level underdog position low riding mud, you know what I mean? Uh, so anywhere you could get an hike is, is a stride forward for all the fellas that are doing life that will never get out that are badass artists. This is for them, you know what I mean? That, hey, some youngster might actually build a career off of an art form that was started in the streets of LA and the jail system, you know? Is there a style that you really admire, but you don't want to fuck with the same way. Like you're into lowriders, but you love Jeeps. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, is there like, like Samoan Polynesian culture? They have beautiful sure. art, you know, is there an art that you wish not, not in a regret way, but like, man, I wish I had another lifetime to learn that shit. Yeah. You can just admire stuff. Like if you look at this like Samoan bodysuit, you know, the, the spiritual tattoos they get they're really special man and um, to talk to those guys and hear the vibe behind it, it's even better so I really admire that that form and uh, the Japanese you know the the bodysuits of the, of the Japanese cultures it take a lifetime to study that and the concepts behind it and it's, it's really heavy right oh, my favorite. well you know there's a few questions I asked Esteban, and, and I have to ask two out of the three right now, so that way it's kind of like to find what's in common. Like when you, since you're talking about the Japanese, um, for us spice trade people, if someone grabs a taco and, and Roy Choi does something to it, the Mexicans weren't as offended. You know, same thing with the Filipinos. If Indonesians grab this from us, cool. There had to be some sort of bad, like, feeling initially, or at least shock when you saw the Japanese with the fucking cholo culture. 
Because if yeah. I were in your shoes, I'd be like, what the fuck are you guys doing with this? Because they yeah. go hard. They, if, you, if they get into psychobilly, punkabilly, the Japanese do it. If, if they're into hip-hop, they think they're all DJ Crush. You know what I mean? But what was the shock like? Yeah, your initial um, emotion is just shock. and kind of like, you get, what the, the fuck? fuck? You know what I mean? Fuck that shit, you know? And then the more you start to... I remember going to Japan and my first time and I walk into this, this spot and there must be a thousand lowriders there. I mean, it looked like New Year's Day and I was like, what the fuck? And then these homies are all sitting on the floor. And I was like, nah, homies, you, you don't sit on the floor, bro. And I'm trying to help them. Like the bloods are kicking with the cribs. It's like dress up in Halloween. And I'm just like, and my friend goes, hey, Holmes, you're going to go fucking crazy trying to correct all these motherfuckers. They don't know what the fuck you're talking about. First right. And then I just started to trip out that they were so honest about it and, like, so much respect for, for Chicano culture and the Mexican pride and all that shit that it didn't seem like, like they were thieving. You know what I mean? It just seemed like this was some other hood the same way there's another hood in Texas or some shit that's outside of California, you know? Um, but this is on the other side of the world, and they're not playing homes. They're hopping a 63 rag, hitting fucking back bumper, like ain't nothing. And that's in every city I would go over there. So years and years of that shit, you eventually, you surrender. Uh, you either surrender or you are on the outs, because it's going down whether you like it or not. They are doing this shit. And they started getting respect, man. They started going to Crenshaw. They started going to East L.A. They started going to Real Hood, Real Boulevard, and Lowrider. And not get shot. And not, but in the mix of that shit, there were shootings going down. They just weren't shooting at them, but they were there. They seen some gangsters. They would get robbed. All kinds of shit happened to them. Um, but they just kept coming back. And they rescued the fucking industry, man. The Japanese came in with their finance and helped a lot of homeboys from LA, from California period, open their own businesses and become restoration shops. And without the Japanese, we wouldn't even know what fully, fully accessorized rag and policy was about. They seen a, huh. they seen a couple of LA fools do that shit. This, this use... Southside Car Club is an example of the epitome of, of Rag Bel Airs and Apollos with the most expensive accessories offered from GM at that period. These guys load them up. And the Japanese seen that and they were like, that's what we want to do. So they just went nuts and they bought all these accessories and they really opened up the whole thing to where a lot of guys were able to do it. And they were able to go nuts on cars that they wouldn't have if it wasn't a briefcase full of money right there. Uh, so there's, there is a parallel between, uh, you know, blacks and black exploitation, but they would use kung fu moves. Mm. So eventually you guys, so, okay, I'm trying to understand, like, at least it was an homage point right away, kind of. Or yeah, am like, I incorrect? They had a lot of respect. They had a lot of respect. Oh, that's good. And they were coming around with paper, with bags of money, you know. And they were giving a guy that would normally get 25 grand, they were giving him 50 grand for his car. So they were like, we love, we protect these motherfuckers. I mean, they were protected, <laughs> bro. You couldn't just go up and start punking them because they learned too, oh, when they see a Japanese, the price goes up. So over time, they started hiring the homies to be the front man for the shop and they would go and beat fools down for prices and then, you know, eventually it would take me two hours to discuss just the Japanese um, influence on, on Chicago lowrider culture, you know. Yeah, I used to put out music and our distributors would come from Japan to, and they'd wire the money even before the orders came. It's an interesting subculture that yes the japanese you know mm. they're like honor based and then it's almost like grab based it's it's an interesting culture you know yeah um, change more now 
you can't get the loans you used to get over there. So sure, it calmed down a lot. Sure, that was, that was the heydays in the nineties. Hey, Dunes, um, can you honor me like ten more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. I'm I'm really sure. appreciating this conversation. Uh, yeah. You you used to also help stage design. For when you were on tour, how much of, sorry, how much of that was like inspiration off like metal bands like Eddie from Iron Maiden, you know, when you would design that or was sure. it? I mean, we were, we were influenced by that type of stuff, you know, looking at album covers, Zap album covers were airbrushed and crazy uh, Led Zeppelin album covers, Pink Floyd, The Doors. These were all bands we looked up to. Cypress had that vision, you know, DJ Muggs and Be Real had that whole vibe of, man, we're, we're going to make this shit, like, not just homeboys holding money and shit like that. We're going to go deeper than that shit and go into, you know, this weed fantasy, man, with the mushroom going out of the ground and all this wild imagery. They were, they were thinking way out the normal box and thinking more of a global look and coming with that dark imagery that matched the music. So there would always be a little homey twist on that shit somewhere. But, uh, yeah, they would go nuts and they would ask me to do the stages on I'd be like, hell yeah. I had never designed those stages before, but they asked me and I was like, yep, I could do that. Because I've seen the other fools do that shit, but I'm like, well, they did it, I can do it. You know, I just right. got to figure out how to do it. And uh, same thing with storyboarding a music video, doing any of that stuff. I just, I just said, yeah. And I figured out how to do it. And, and being on tour, was it a racial difference or maybe an economic difference between like uh, hip hop, weed, uh, no doubt, or Blink-182? I, I know that was more Esteban's uh, side, but like... <laughs> They were more on, on powder. You know what I'm saying? Did, did you notice any party or ce celebration styles in different music genres? Or yeah, was it all the same? It, um, no, it goes from group to group. You know, like, you go, Cypress would play with, like, almost dead concerts. You know what I mean? The Grateful Dead in Frisco. There would be these, these festivals, man. And you would definitely see psychedelics real deep and, you know, heavy with the flower, but uh, then you go to, say, the East Coast or you go to some part of Europe or something, it's all about beer, these different beers, and we just started to learn about that stuff back then, you know, um, and then some groups are pulling out the dark shit, you know, um, but Cyprus wasn't about the dark drugs. Um, trying to get lifted. About, it was all about weed and, and psychedelics at the best, so um, yeah, you know, I think alcohol is probably the the glue that keeps all that stuff together. You know what I'm saying? Sure, that sure. Going nowhere. Do do you do you still indulge with liquor, or have you slowed down? Yeah, of that? it's a rare occasion where I'll drink. You know, um, you know, it's just not really my style, but I I uh, I respect it. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, the one thing is, it's interesting how creatives, I could talk to someone else who does graph writing, one loves weed, one, hey, dude, I got to be sober when I do this shit. Sure. So it, yeah, it, I've, I've experimented with all of it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I think my dad's not like a constant alcoholic, so I, I wasn't like that, you know what I mean? I can get faded, don't get it twisted, but it, it's not my like daily thing that, that I go to. The flower is more maintainable. And you can, but, you know, I've done alcohol campaigns where, like, they send you fucking pallets of that shit. You're like, stop sending me that shit, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But uh, now if you, the main thing is that you want to get, you want to get stuff done, you know. And if the flower helps you out and relaxes you and, gives you some patience and that's good you know it's getting in the way of your shit and you can't you're missing deadlines you probably shouldn't do that you know? uh, i gotta ask you something really personal to me um 
if Kobe Bryant was alive, he goes, Toons, you can't fuck with the Clippers, bro. You can't. But is that something you oblige? I mean, he would never business, tell me that. Right? He would never tell me that because his friends get traded to different teams and he's still friends with them. Sure. You know? And the only time he would tell me that is if he had a check from the Lakers in his hand. Right. So that's when he would tell me. That, that, that would be a different conversation. You know, but if basically if he came back anything that he said, I'd be like, all right, cool. You know what I'm saying? But the time he did leave, the time he did live, he left a, a, a legacy man. Everyone he shook their hand at felt like they knew that guy. You know what I mean? That's why you can look at him as a prime example, you know, be at your present moment and, and max out, be, be the best you can and push that, that work ethic. You know, I think everyone looked up to him, not only because he was taller than everyone, but he was, um, his work ethic, people could just see it. It was glowing, man. Well, real, well, real sad thing. Well, the reason why I asked this and to connect you know, uh, someone featured as an L.A. original. Mm. Kobe is the other spectrum of an L.A. developed original. You know, he, he's lived in Philly, Italy, but look like how he embraced L.A. and L.A. embraced him. Right. You know, it, it's, it's important for me to pick your brain about him and his plight and what he did for L.A. because an L.A. original talking about an accepted child you know for sure i mean he he's you know a big influence on a lot of us um but that's the best thing about him is that uh he he was the lakers so like working with him was working with the lakers you know sure and when the clippers came they came correct they came with a cool vibe they came with a, a great marketing plan it was that of the underdog it's it's we over me um you know, they, they really came with it. Like, let's be in a 64 rag instead of a jet plane. You know, or it, it was a good approach that they had. You know, and they were pushing L.A. a lot, and they wanted me to do all the black and white capsule of apparel. So, you know, it couldn't have been a better situation with them. It really, really stepped up. And, and you don't have to agree to this statement because <laughs> I'm a diehard Laker fan. Right. Um, I just felt like either there needed to be some currency, like being current with the Lakers, because it feels like they're still dancing to fucking Betty Boop and Paul Abdul and shit. And, you know, it was just interesting because it's one of those moves where the Clippers goes, huh, they hired tunes. You know, it's like, re it's like Anthony Bourdain research. You know what yeah, I mean? But, yeah, but Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, you got it. Um, were you, were you a Laker fan or? I mean, you you're raised in uh, in Los Angeles. You're gonna be a Laker fan to you know most of the people. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, but I I wasn't such a hardcore fan to where like I had homeboys in there. You know, they have they love teams from other states. Sure. I'm like, what's up with that shit, homie? What do you mean Pittsburgh is your favorite? You know what I mean? like Steelers. Yeah, you, you grew up here. So the Cowboys are Cowboy fans. Are, like it's, they get real crazy. I'm not I'm not like that. You know, I yeah, that's cool. Like, they want to hire me. You know, I've done stuff for all the different, um, you know, universities. You know, so I did the Trojans. That was an honor, you know. But I also did all these other ones. So I, I do art for all sports teams. You know, but uh, I'm a Lakers fan and I'm a Clippers fan. I'm not sure if you're allowed to be both homes, but right. I love both, you know. Right. No, I mean, it's just it's it, it's just maybe you're just a Hoops fan of L.A. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I, I think even – correct me if I'm wrong, but on this last campaign, a lot of my diehard Laker homeboys were giving the Clippers a pass. <laughs> they were like, oh, I got to fuck with them, man. I got to fuck with them, man. You know, but they normally were just that they go so hard, you know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it's the uniform and not in the spirit of ball washing you, bro. You know, I, I, you know, I already respect you and I'm sure. giving you this conversation. Yeah. There's a lot of love. But, you know, I mean, 
you, you're using a, a a vintage car. Let me just call it vintage. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and then you have that 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 font, and it's just okay. You can, you can't deny when a dope producer works with an MC you didn't think of mm. to work with, right? So that's how sure. the interpretation was. Um, it's a lot going up against the Lakers, bro. That is no easy task, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're getting close to wrapping up, and I appreciate your time. Sure, man. So for for the positive spin, you know, I I don't want to dive into what made you and Estevan break up, but how did the mending and healing come into place? Well, you know, when you're friends with someone for twenty five years, you, you're always going to be their friend. You know, like we're brothers. You know what I'm saying? So over that time, uh, we have different loss. This was just our last one. Um, you know what happened too, man? It was time to kick it with our families, with our children. You know what I mean? We went from the days of staying at the shop all night, partying, that type of environment. You know, 50 homies kicking it. It just looked like a party all the time to where, like, once we've seen the gentrification of downtown really taking flight and when they started really getting rid of the artists that live there and, all corporate situation. Um, I started building, a, I had another property, I started building another studio. I'm very um, anal in, in that I want everything a certain way. I want all these ducks in a row. I want the studio set up, this and that. And when we were downtown, it was very hard to control that. A lot of people tried. And we didn't have our phone number listed, nothing. We tried to stay under the radar, and we still had 20 fools over there a day. And it's very difficult to get work done when a lot of people are hanging out. So I think we had did that for like 13 years, you know what I'm saying? It was time to like go. I didn't even know it was social distancing. It was, uh, we just started isolating. You know, I isolated in my cave and I produced a bunch of projects, you know. Now we're still working on shit together. We're still right. doing it. We just don't have that hub with. 50 people kicking it. Sure. It's just like progressing, you know? It's our own private studios. Now everything kind of goes private. Dr. Dre got a studio with his own private studio. It doesn't, so I'm not comparing myself to him, but I do use him as uh, an inspiration, as a guide on how to do certain shit, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, we're, we're stronger, definitely together, pushing forward, you know, got nothing but love for him. So it's great to show this in the movie and be honest and be like, look, when this place stopped, a lot of stuff changed. The party was kind of over the way we knew it. And now with this virus and all that type of stuff, we're having to relook at everything again on how we're going to approach uh, running our businesses and doing all that. And, you know, shout to everyone out there that's that's struggling or, or, or working and helping, man. We really appreciate it. You know, we just got to struggle all together. We're all going to take a hit together. You know what I'm saying? And we, we rise above. We, we uh, push forward. So lastly, um, you know the comedian Joe Coy? Sure. So with him, his, his rhythm is whatever I do, I do with the love for Filipinos. Right. With this project... How much of it is you and Esteban as creative people who have been through so much shit? And how much of it is interspersed with for the Chicanos? Yeah, I mean, it is Chicano art. I mean, that's the style that, that I do, and, and I give credit to that. And I'm, I'm you know, proud to be a part of, of uh, a group of Chicano artists that are, are trying to raise it above. And, but it's just the way we draw, you know what I mean? What this movie was, too, is an introduction to people that have never heard of us. You know what I mean? People that, they don't know our style. They don't even know what Chicano art is. We have to kind of explain everything from, I mean, we needed to go even deeper, of course, but you can only say so much in that amount of time. So we had to kind of touch on everything in this movie. Yeah, hopefully there'll be more and we'll be able to show our style and, and, and bring other Chicano artists or artists, period. Just bringing them up. Well, man, thank you. This is an amazing conversation and interview Great, I had man. with you. Yeah, I appreciate Thanks, it. Let us know. We'll put it up on our story and shit when it's going to come out. Well, have a good one, bro. 
All right, brother. Thank, thank, thank you, Mark. Mark. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Asian Unfiltered on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.